pulling some things out. But the th important thing that we understand today that, that, yes, historically, we'll be speaking of that in just a moment, that Jesus has risen again. But folks, the question is, is what does that mean to you and me? Why did he come? Why did he die? Why did he raise from that grave? He did that for you and for me. And we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves that question. What is such the big deal of the resurrection? Folks, it is a big deal. Our very souls depend on it. And I just want us to stop and, 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 and touch bases. There's no way I could delve into this passage in, in just a few moments. So I'm trying to draw some things out that maybe you'll go and examine for yourself. So if you found Romans, the sixth chapter, if you found that, say Amen. Amen. Romans was written by a guy by the name of Paul. I'm going to be speaking about him in just a moment and give you a little bit of his story. And let's all stand together in honor of reading God's Word. And actually, I'm going to start and back up in, in about verse 20 of chapter 5. The Apostle Paul was speaking about this wonderful work that occurred through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to address a little bit of that in just a moment. And that how, how he changed everything about the, the mindset of man of how you come to God. How your sins can be redeemed. How your life can be changed and, and through God's grace. By faith. By simply trusting in Him. And, and so many times when, when people hear this wonderful message, then they almost use it as a license that if I come, then I can just run off. I can call myself a Christian. I can do anything that I want to do. But what Paul was saying, you've missed the point. And, and that's what he's saying. And, and, and we'll start back in verse 20 of chapter 5 where he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And God, he said, God sent the law that we might recognize that we're sinners. Because how would we know that we've done wrong if there was not a standard to examine ourselves? And he says, and that's why God sent the law, that our offense might abound, that should show you who you really are. You know, it's just like a child. If you ever tell a child not to do something, guess what that child's going to do? They're going to do it. And, 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 and that just shows where, you know, where the law where the law is, it just reveals who we are. And then he says, but where sin abounded grace, much more abound. Thank God for his grace. That a sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness into, to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And he just continues that thought when he says, but what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because some people like to use grace as a license. To sin, but, but, but what does Paul say? God forbid, so it never be. You can't use grace as a license. He said, and, and this, is, this is the key to the whole passage. And you may, if, you, if, you, if you're marking your Bible, you may, you may look how he answers this question. When, when he asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. But listen to what he says. I have this circled in my Bible. How shall we, speaking about the righteous or, or speaking about those who are children of God, how shall we that are dead to sin? 
live any longer therein. How can you, if you have died unto sin, how can you continue to live in sin? Know you not, or don't you know that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried by baptism and with him by baptism into death, that just like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion on him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He says, likewise reckon ye, or count yourself, count yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection and what that means to us. And Father, I I just pray today that you would open ears that we can hear and God, our minds that we can understand you. God, um, even in your word, it says, Lord, that that, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, of our understanding. That God, that we might see, that we might understand. I pray today on this resurrection day that God, that you would change lives. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd come and you'd bless this place. In Christ's name, amen. You know, it was about 2,000 years ago, there was a man, and, and, and I'm not speaking at this time of Jesus Christ, although he'll be the center of this particular passage. But as a, man, this, as, a, as a matter of fact, this man's name was Saul. And Saul was a man just like you and me, and he was a, a man that was very prominent within the Jewish society. He was, a, he was, a, he was an up-and-coming buck, and um, he was very well-educated, and, and also he was been put in a position that, that people thought this guy really has it where he needs it. But you know, Saul was a man just like you and me, even though that, 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 that he was well-respected within his community, that, that he looked like a rising star. Just like we tell people that in our Celebrate Recovery, he had hurts, hang-ups, and habits. You know, on the outside, you might look at him and think, wow, he's got it all together, but on the inside, he was a mess. The one thing that I think is very obviously when you study the the life of this man, Saul, he was a man that that dealt with a lot of anger within his heart. You know, and I I do not know exactly where all this anger came from, but but he was a man that had spent his life fighting against something. I think one of the things that you'll find later in some of the writings that he made, that that I think he was a man that that always tried to, to, to live his life proving himself to God and proving himself to man. Maybe he was codependent in your sense that, that he thought that he had to do something for God to love him, and he had, to, he had to show himself for people to love him. Folks, that's a miserable place to be. But yet within the ministry that I find people like that all the time, that we are constantly living or striving within our lives to prove ourselves so that we might get the approval of others. But he's also a man that 
you saw deep within him that there had to be some anger. It was obviously that he was angry against a group of people that a group of people who called themselves follower of Christ is because they didn't believe the things that he did and they, they believed that there was, a, there was a teacher who came from Nazareth, his name was Jesus, and that, 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 that this Jesus had died to set them free from the bondage of the law and that he died, he was buried, and then these people had the audacity to say that he had risen again. You see, this was everything against what the Apostle Paul believed and thought that first of all, a man can't rise from the dead, and how ludicrous is that, and, and that this man has just come to destroy the law that, that he had lived his life trying to prove out in his own life. And so he was embittered. He had great prejudice. Folks, prejudice was alive and well 2,000 years ago. And through this prejudice and through this bitterness, he was angry within his heart, and he had committed his life to destroying everyone that believed what these people believed. I can't imagine waking up every morning and, and having in my heart such a, a heart of hatred and a heart of bitterness that, that, that my life's choice that day was to, to hurt someone that, that disagreed in the way that I believed. But that's what he did. As a matter of fact, there was, there was young, one young man by the name of Stephen that was just preaching the gospel that, 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 that it, might have been the, it might have been Saul himself that kind of was, was, was over his trial. And the Bible says he was the first man that, that, that was murdered. He was murdered because, he was martyred because of his faith. And, and the people came and laid their cloaks at this man's feet so he could oversee the killing of a young man by the name of Stephen. Can you feel the anger? And that he would, he would go from city to city in prison and, 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 and executing people that, that held this faith, that, that said that they believed in the risen Christ. But a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus where he was going to persecute other Christians. On the way to Damascus, he met the risen Savior himself. Woo! I mean, this man that was so angry and so bitter and was living his life as destroying other people because of, of, of their fable that, that some Jesus had risen from the dead, he met him face to face. And on that day, everything changed. That old heart of anger, that old heart of bitterness, that old heart of trying to prove himself to God and to men just went away. Because when he met the risen Savior, he met grace face to face. He met what mercy really meant. That all of the things that he had committed in the past were taken away of taken away and had been forgotten by God. And folks, his life radically changed. He became a new man. As a matter of fact, as he stood before the glory of the Lord, that the Bible says apparently through that just being in the glory of the, of the risen Savior, he couldn't even see for about three days. His life changed so much, he wasn't even called Saul anymore. He had a new name. 
that was called Paul. This guy was so mesmerized and so captivated by the risen Savior, his entire life was now spent telling everyone about the power of the resurrection. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, who, whom later we know that, 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 that wrote most of the letters within the New Testament, that you can't read through many pages until you, you run into the idea of the resurrection and what that means to you and me. But the Apostle Paul, when he's contemplating as he was writing to the church of Philippi, he said these words, you know, of all the things I used to be, they're, they're not important to me anymore. Those things are gone. But then he said these words that, 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 that has just always grabbed my soul. He says, he says that I might, he says, the only thing I want is this. That I might know him, I want to know Jesus better. And I want to, to, to know better the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's all what Paul wanted. I want a deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I want a deeper understanding of, of the power of his resurrection. And I want to, 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 to understand better how he suffered for me. But Paul also wished that for us. He later would write to the church of Ephesus where he says that now because of I've heard of your faith, what I pray is that your understanding, as, as a matter of fact, when he says your eyes of your understanding, that's a word that, that we sing a lot of times, that that's eyes of your cardia or, or the eyes of your heart be opened up. And he says so that you might understand, you might understand the riches that, that have been made available to you and the eternal, eternal hope that was through the power of God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Because Paul wanted everyone to know, I want you to know everything that God has for you. And everything that God has for you is offered through the power of the resurrection. And I want us to look at that today. I just want us to take just, just some bullet shots and look at some things the Apostle Paul says. And, 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 and I ask you to go back and study them for yourselves. You know, when, the, when, when Paul is talking about the power of the resurrection and, and he's given us a whole a passage right here about the power of the resurrection, but let's just look at some basic things. First of all, it's just inferred here, it's not spoken, that when we think of the power of the resurrection, we think, first of all, of the power that, bring, that brings a dead man back to life again. You see, that was the very thing the apostle Paul had an issue with. He didn't believe that, that this man from Nazareth, this, this carpenter named Jesus, had really risen again. The word does not tell us, but, but Paul himself, when he was saw, very well could have been at the crucifixion. I mean, he was one of the, he was one of the leaders of the day in the, in the, in the, in the Jewish um, leadership that, that Mary very well could have been there, there witnessing the death of this one whom they thought had come to break down Jewish law. And very well, Paul might have even seen where he had been buried. But he didn't believe that he had risen again until he met him. You know, there might be some of you today that, that when you hear about, about a man coming up from the dead, you might think to yourself, that's just poppycock. That's just, that's fairy tale. That's just legend. 
Well, that's one thing that does set Christianity away from all other religions because one thing that as Christians we claim, we claim, we claim that our leader died and he was buried and he rose again. We don't have a grave that we can go back to. We don't have a mausoleum we can go back to that, that says this is where our leader, then the folks, the, where we go to, the grave's empty. You see, and that's what, that's what separates Christianity from, from all, all other religions. And so it, it, it makes us very, very distinct. But, but you may think to yourself, well, you may believe that, but I simply don't believe it. But, but let, me, well, what, let me explain something. When you do, what you're fighting is against historical evidence. As a matter of fact, I thought it was very interesting that doc, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, he was a Harvard professor of several years ago, wrote these words. He says, according to the laws of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there's more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for, for just, for, uh, than for just about any other event in history. What he says, if you go back and examine history, of, that you have passed history, there's no greater evidence for one event other than, that, that's any greater than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's no way I can get into all of that. That's a whole other subject today. But you may say, oh, pastor, that's still crazy. Well, study it for yourself. Hey, don't believe me. Study it for yourself. I'll give you three, three works that you can begin with and just begin to get it and, and, and go with it with skeptical eyes and at least be honest with yourself. How do you believe something if, it, if, it's not, if you don't really know it's not so? Examine it for yourself. There's a great book that's called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. It's written in the 30s that, that um, you may want to examine. There's another wonderful book. He's actually got covered. Um, one of them is... One of them is evidence that demands a verdict, and then, and then later the evidence of the resurrection by a guy by the name of Josh McDowell. And then recently there's been a book written that's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And I encourage you to go back, and even if you want to look at it with, beginning with skeptic eyes, examine it for yourself, but I need to give you a warning. All three of these men, when they begin to examine the evidence of the resurrection, they were all skeptics. As a matter of fact, they began their study to prove that Jesus Christ really didn't rise from the dead. But through their studies, they all became believers in Jesus Christ. Because instead of proving that Jesus didn't rise from the grave, the evidence pointed as they were looking at it through legal minds it pointed that he really did rise from the grave. So I challenge you, no matter who you are, no matter what your thoughts are, hey, take these, study them, and, and examine for yourself that when, the, when, when, when Paul speaks about that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he arose again on the third day. We heard that in 1 Corinthians this morning as Pastor Nathaniel preached it. We read that within the Gospels that by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If these things are really true, if Jesus really did come up from the grave, as the Bible teaches us, then, folks, that makes a huge difference in everything. First of all, knowing that, that, that God has the power to raise Jesus up from the grave, but also if God has the power to raise Jesus up from the grave, he has the power to raise you and me up from the grave also. So that should give us a, a complete different way that we look 
at ourselves and the way that we look at God. And that's just the very basics of the power of the resurrection. Folks, if, if God can raise that which is dead, then what can he not do in the lives of mankind? He can change. And so, so but let's look into what Paul then gets, speaks to that. You see that, that not only is this this idea that God has, a, has the power to, to raise a physical body from death into life, he also has the power to free me from the problem of my sin. Paul writes in verses 6 through 9, these particular words that we read in chapter 6, when he says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. Let's talk about that. Paul speaks about this body of sin. You see, every one of you and me have a very big problem, and that problem is called sin. The Bible teaches us, and, and, and I don't even think we have to go to the Bible to, 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 to really understand the reality of this. The Bible says there's none of us righteous, no, not one. There's none of us perfect in here. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us also the wages of sin is death. Folks, you don't have to be a grown-up to, to, to understand these. You can ask a children, have you ever sinned? And that child will tell you more than you really want to probably hear. And it's really dangerous if you ask a child, has your mom or daddy ever sinned? You see, folks, it's a dangerous thing when you, get, you, you allow your pastors to sit with your children. We can find out a lot of stuff. <laughs> folks, we've all sinned. You may ask, well, why does sin? Sin is simply rebellion against a holy and a perfect God. It's just, it's just going against the character of God. God is truth, and so any time that I speak a lie or I speak something that, or I hedge against the truth, then, then folks, that's going against the very character of God because God is holy. And any, any falsehood, any lie that, that comes out of my mouth, or is maybe not even within my mouth but in my actions, is a sin against God. Who in this place have not told a lie, or who of us have not fudged the truth at times? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Also, that if I've ever been, been angry with my brother or, or angry with someone else or I've had bitterness within my heart or, or unforgiveness in my heart, then that's a sin, sin against the loving God. And so if, if, if I don't love people as God loves people, then that is sin. And who of us in this place has not, not ever been angry with another person? Who of us in this place that have never not had malice within our heart or, or said something against someone else that, that, that we should have not said or gossiped and tore somebody down. Folks, every one of us would raise our hand if we were honest. And so that's sin against a loving God. Anytime we, we, we act in an immoral way, that we have immoral thoughts sexually or in any type of way. And, and, and I don't have to describe all of that. You know what I'm talking about. That's a sin against the holy God.
You think, well, Pastor, I've never acted out. The Bible, the Bible says if it's, been, if it's in your heart, it's already sin. You see, folks, that's the problem that every one of us face. And, 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 and um, we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches us that because of that, the Bible says the wages of our sin or the payment of our sin is death. Eternal separation from God or the wrath of God upon ourselves. And you may say, well, how can a loving God, this, this is always so funny. You know, skeptics want to say, well, how can a loving God punish those who are evil? Let me ask you, how can a loving God not punish that which is evil? See, he's a loving God, but he's also a just God. Janie, if, if, if someone done an evil act against one of your children, and the courts of the law says, you know, Janie, I know that you're hurt, but we're not going to punish this offender, then you yourself would be hurt because there's not been justness. But see, God, because he is holy, he's also just that he must deal with the penalty of sin. Or he's not just or he's not even loving anymore. And so he must pay, that, that there must be payment for our, each of our sin. The Bible calls that death, eternal separation from God, not only physical death, but spiritual death, and also God's wrath that, that would punish that sin. And so every one of us are in that same boat. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and because there's a holy and there's just God, that there must be a penalty, there must be a payment for our sin. And again, the Bible, or Paul uses that idea of death. Hmm. Folks, we're all in that condition. But that's why Jesus came to this world. He came to deal with the issues that we can't deal with. See, he came to deal with our problem of sin. It's our problem, and, and if Jesus would left us alone, then we would all have to face that penalty. But Jesus has come to pay for the penalty of our sin. He came to die. He came to, to die for you and me. He, he hung on the cross. That, that, that we, we heard that wonderful song this morning that he chose the cross. Jesus didn't deserve the cross. He had, never, he had never sinned. He lived a perfect life. But he chose the cross not for his sin, but for your sin and for my sin. He took my lies. He took my immorality. He took my greed. He, he, he took my anger. He took all of Paul's bitterness and, 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 and took it upon the cross. But we have to understand that if Jesus Christ had never stepped out of that grave, then, then we, we, we must know that then that, that our sins would never have been forgiven because he'd have been a man just like you and me. He took our sins to the grave, but the grave could not hold him. And when God raised him from the dead, that was God saying, I approve. I approve the payment for the sins of man. And so, Jesus, I raise you back up. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, he says, And if Christ be not risen, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. But he's using that with an idea, but he is risen. Your faith is real, and therefore, because of, of his resurrection, you have been forgiven. As a matter of fact, when we talk to someone about, about 
coming to Christ, there's a great passage that Paul writes, and he says, if, the, if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and he says, you know what you also need to believe? Believe that God hath raised him from the dead. See, you can say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and, and Jesus could even say, I'm Jesus is Lord, but the fact that he rose from the dead proves that he is who he says he is. And he has the power to do what he says he can do. And so Jesus came, he died, and he, he, he was raised again to deal with that problem of the penalty of, of, of sin, but also uh, another problem that we have is the bondage of sin. And that's what Paul was speaking of here. You see, the Bible teaches us, for all of us that are born into, to, to man, we're all sinners. And every one of us are in in bondage to our own sin and to our own lust. There's not a one of us of not being in a situation that, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, but the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. That's played out in my life more times than I want to admit. That when I know in my heart something is wrong to do, but I do it anyhow. Why? Because sin has me bound. And folks, that's just a part of the problem of sin, not only the penalty, but, but what it does to us on a daily day. Have you ever wondered, why did I say that? Why was I so hateful? Why did I think those thoughts within my head towards someone? Why did I slap that girl's face? Why? Because sin is a tough slave master. But listen to what Paul says. is because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul said these words. He, he, he said these words in, 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 in verse 6 and following when he, when he said, Knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin may be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now that, that, if, that if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And then in verse 9 he says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. And what he's saying here, that, that because of the death of Christ, when we come to Jesus Christ, how do we come? We have to come empty of ourselves. As a matter of fact, that Jesus says, unless you take up your cross, you cannot follow me. And what he's talking about, well, you must be willing, just like Jesus died for our sins, we must be willing to die to ourselves. And so that when we, are, when we come into the, into the kingdom of God, when we, uh, Paul will read in just a moment, that when we're baptized into him, which means we immerse ourselves into Jesus Christ, we have, we, we, we have to leave the past behind. We, that, that's called repentance is when, when I say, Lord, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm committing myself to, to no longer follow me. I want to follow you. And when we, when we die to ourselves as Jesus died for us, as Jesus died in a physical sense, we die in a spiritual sense. He says, therefore, sin no, has, has no more dominion over us because our old man is dead. That's my old person. 
And, 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 and a slave master can't have dominion over something that's dead. That when I received Christ as my Lord and I, I called out to him, the old Johnny died. And sin no longer is my master because now Jesus is my master. And so what I'm telling you, dear friends, that, that, that if you fight with this struggle of sin, and we all do, the only thing that's going to help you win victory is Jesus Christ through his death, his burial, and resurrection. But, but let me just, you know, just, let me move on. Well, that sin has no more authority. That I, I've changed allegiance. His name's Jesus now. I look at Nathaniel right there. Nathaniel is my son-in-law. Nathaniel, how long have you and Ken have been married? Almost five years. Put him on the spot. <laughs> I love my cannon, boys. I love my cannon. If you see Dorothy, you see what Cannon was years ago. You see, before Cannon married Dorothy, <laughs> Dorothy, that didn't sound right at all. Before Nathaniel married Cannon, Cannon was under my authority. I was her daddy, and, um, and, and, and God had placed me as authority as head over her house. Over her life. And so, and, and, and Cannon, I, I'll say, Cannon was a, was, was a sweet young lady, and she listened to what Daddy said. But then some, some guy showed up in her life and got her heart. And the day that I gave Cannon away to Nathaniel, that authority changed. Now, God has placed Nathaniel as the authority over my daughter's life. And so I don't have the business anymore to tell Cannon this is what you need to do because, because that needs to go through Nathaniel. And see, for all of us who are married to Satan, all of us who were married to sin in the past, when Jesus Christ showed up in our life, authority, the authority was, was pushed away from sin, and now Jesus is the new authority in our life. He's the power in our life that, 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 that sin no longer has that power or authority over our life. But, but let, let, let me just, just, just quickly go on. But, but look also the, the power to change my life. Look what he says in verse 4. And I could, I could, or should be able to go here and just, uh, and just, we could camp out. He says, therefore, when we are buried with him by baptism into death, and what he's talking about is that when we come to him and we say, Jesus, I immerse myself totally into you. Jesus, I'm all in. I, I've, 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 I totally, totally believe that you are my Lord and my Savior, that when I'm baptized, when I'm immersed into him, he says, unto death, that just like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What, what, what Paul was doing is he's, he's taking something that historical, something that really happened in the physical life of Jesus Christ and teaching us a great spiritual truth. That just like Christ died, he was buried, and he arose again on the third day, that in a spiritual sense, when I die to myself and I'm, I'm baptized into Jesus Christ, I'm baptized into his kingdom, I become one of his children. That just like Jesus was dead and God raised him up to newness of life, when I baptize myself, when I give myself to Jesus Christ, that old man dies and God raises me up to newness of life. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
I, this is one of the great joys that I have as being a pastor, is I have a, being a, a, a believer that because God has given me the message of the gospel and he's allowed me to, to, to be a witness of the gospel, that over the years I have seen, in, not only in my own life, but I have seen so many crazy stories about how God has radically changed people's lives. I mean, people that if you saw them, if you saw them today, you would never know where they were yesterday. I mean, he just changed their world. And that's what it's speaking about because the very thought that because Jesus died and he rose the newness of life, when a person commits himself to Jesus Christ, that old man dies, and Jesus doesn't just clean you up. He changes your life. He changes your wants. He changes your desires. He changes the way you look at things. He changes the whole paradigm of the world. And that is what's so wonderful. In, in all reality, I don't have to argue with somebody whether Jesus um, rose from the grave. I can just start pointing people out to that person. I believe there's a risen Savior because he's living in this person. 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 And, and all you have to do is look at their lives. That he has radically changed their life. Is that good news or not? And, you know, man, that is something worth clapping about. That when, when Jesus steps into a life, it doesn't matter how deep a person is into their self. It doesn't matter how deep a person is into to their anger or to their bitterness, to their unforgiveness or into their immorality or into their addiction. That Jesus Christ can change a life and he can make a new person out of that life. Now, I'm telling you, folks, that is a story that needs to be told. We live in a messed up world. As a matter of fact, we all walk out of homes that's probably kind of messed up within. You know, there, see, one thing that we know as a pastor, as you get to know people, there's not a family that I deal with. Not, there's not a single family that I deal with that isn't messed up some way. My daddy used to tell me, I think he told my sister Wanda one time, she was wanting to do a little genealogy, and, she, and my daddy told her, sister, you don't want to go down that tree very far because you're going to find some things you don't want to see. And folks, you know it. If we begin to trace your life, you wouldn't have to go very far to find out there's some messed up stuff going on. Hey, you can keep wallowing in it if you want. But there's an answer, and his name is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He can change your life. And you don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. And that's what I challenge you today. Because of the resurrection, there's the power to change your life, change your family's life. I was thinking of a situation recently right here that I've been able to be a part of that I saw God change a, a parent's life. And because of the work and the change that God did in that parent's life, he changed an entire generation after that parent. Because God took that parent that was all messed up and God redeemed that person. When God redeemed that person, in, in, in all reality, he redeemed that entire family. Because if God hadn't have redeemed that, that parent, then that whole family would have been 
grown up, all messed up. Folks, that's who our God is. See, he, he doesn't only want to change your life. He wants to change everyone's life around you. My mother-in-law, Dorothy Davis, has that testimony. She grew up and where really none of her family or her husband's family knew Christ. But in a way that only can do it, God changed Miss Dorothy's life. He gave her a newness of life years and years ago. And over the years, most of her family and her husband's family come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Folks, is that good or is that good? You see, because God changes and gives us newness of life, and then wherever he plants us, it begins to spread out from there. And that's what the power of the resurrection. You see, when Jesus Christ rose from that grave, all those disciples were scared men, and they were, they were scared to death. Their Lord had died. And, and they had forsaken him, and, and they had cowered down. But folks, when they saw the risen Savior, I, their shoulders kind of stood back up. You know, they said, hey, you can call me crazy or what, but I saw Jesus Christ. And, and, and God took this simple group of men and women and turned the world upside down because they had seen the risen Savior. He changed their life, and then they changed the world. And that's what he wants to do to you. He wants to change your life so he can change your family and then change your world. And it's because of the power of his resurrection and and. And, and, and it's the power to raise us to an everlasting life. We've been speaking of that in verse, verse 5. He says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. You know what the Bible says about, about Jesus Christ in his resurrection? He was just the first fruits. You know what that means? There's more to come. There's more to come. And what he's speaking about, those that are his, that, that just like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, for those that are his, we're going to be in his likeness one day. I love what, what John wrote in, in, in 1 John 3, 2, when he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. John said, I really don't know what it's going to be like to be in that glorified body. He said, I don't know. He said, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That, that folks, that, that Jesus is going to make us just like him. He's the resurrected Jesus Christ, and those who are his are going to be raised to life just like Jesus Christ. Now, that's walking in some pretty high cotton there now. That's good stuff. John said, or Jesus spoke as John recorded, and you know, for whoso... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. First of all, you should not perish. You should not have to pay for that penalty of death that we spoke about. But instead of paying for the penalty of death, that you'll have everlasting life. And folks, you receive that as soon as you receive Jesus Christ. And that's just in my closing point that because of all these things, because the power of the resurrection has the power to raise the dead man to life again. It's the power to, 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 to help me with my problem of sin. It has the power to change my life. And it's the power to, to raise me to, to everlasting life. And it has the power to give me an eternal hope. I've got something better waiting for me. Now, in biblical terms, hope is not, I, I, I wish it could happen. There's no uncertainty in the biblical hope. As a matter of fact, in the biblical hope is a certain expectation. It's going to happen. I just don't know when it's going to be. 
But one day, this same Jesus that, that rose from the grave, that ascended to the Father, the angel said, this same Jesus is coming again in a like manner. I stood by a sister right by her, her coffin this past week. And um, Sister Maxie. And had the joy of, of preaching her funeral. But I can promise you, dear friends, that was preaching a celebration. Sister Maxie loved Jesus Christ. Now, she had some hard knocks in her life. But it was any, every one of her family would tell you that she loved Jesus Christ and she would worry them to death about Jesus. And you see, that I, I knew without a doubt that when I was standing, standing over that coffin that one day, that, that, that last Tuesday morning, Maxie's faith, turned aside. She saw her Jesus face to face. And that old body that had worn out and that body that had been in the nursing home that gave way had been laid aside. Her spirit had been caught up where she saw her Jesus face to face. And one day, when Jesus comes again on resurrection day, God's going to make her a brand new body. Just like he is. Just like I told the family, if, if you could hear mama and grandmama right now, or you saw her, you wouldn't want her back. Because I guarantee you, she was having the time of her life. That's all because of the power of the resurrection. And so today as I close this service on, on this, probably, no doubt about it, within the Christian calendar, this is the most important day of the Christian calendar of Easter, of the resurrection. I ask you today, as the Apostle Paul says, as the Apostle Paul says, that I might know him in the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to ask you today is to stop and to look into your own soul. Do you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know that? And, I, and I'm not talking about an intellectual knowledge. I mean, you, you, we can... We, we can intellectually know a lot of things, but we're talking about heart knowledge. Do you know him in a personal and a redemptive way? You see, there's a lot of people that call Jesus by name. There's a lot of people that did good works in, 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 um, for Jesus, but one day he's going to say to them, I never knew you. Even though you did good works in my name and even though you, you did some miracles in my name, he says, I didn't know you personally. And he says, away from me in the everlasting punishment. So, folks, it's not good enough about just intellectually thinking about Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him in a way that you give your heart and your soul to him, where you make yourself vulnerable to him, where you open your life up and say, Jesus, it's not about me, it's about you. Do you know that? Do you know him in that type of personal way that... that, that um, that you know is yours. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? The Bible says, but as many as receive him, to them gives he the power to become the children of God. Everyone that believeth on his name, he says, so what you do is you have to just receive him. You just have to, you have to receive him unto yourself that Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you died for my sins. You were buried and you rose again on the third day. And I placed my trust in you. You see, Paul had worked his whole life trying to prove himself to God. 
You can't work yourself good enough. You can't work yourself into righteousness. But when he met Jesus Christ, Paul realized it wasn't the work I did, it's the work Jesus Christ did. That set Paul free that day. I believe there's someone here today that needs to be set free. You've been working trying to prove yourself. But you've never met Jesus as your Lord. But then he says that I might know the power of his resurrection. You see, the power of the resurrection is the power not only to, to do a work and, and, and forgive your sins because Christ left your sins, but, but also it's that power to change your life. And, and this is where the big conflict comes for so many people. There's a lot of people that says, I know Jesus or Jesus is my Lord, but visually there's never been any change in your life. You might have your name on a church book somewhere. You might have been baptized, but your life has never been changed. You see, that is absolutely opposed to the Word of God. Because the Bible says if any man, if anyone's in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul says that, that as we're buried with Jesus in baptism and death, and just like God raised him, from the dead, or that just like he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so if there's been no newness in life, if there's not been any change in your thoughts, your habits, and, and the way you see the world, then you really need to examine a decision you've made because it doesn't line up with Scripture. And what God wants to do is he wants to change your life. And it, he's not, the only one thing he wants to take away from you is your heartache and your pain. And he wants to give you so much more. And friend, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be in judgment line with you one day. I'm not your judge. Pastor Eddie or Pastor Nathaniel is not your judge. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And so what about you? I stand here today because of the resurrection as I close. I know that I know that I know that he has the power to change every life in this place. No matter where you've been, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your past, because of the resurrection, there's the power to change your life. You don't have to live like you've lived in the past. Because Christ can come in and change your life and give you a newness of life. And I'll promise you when he gives you a newness of life, he'll begin to change those people around you because they'll immediately see it. <coughs> And that's what I'm offering you today through the word of God. The very gospel means good news, good news. Jesus has come, he's died, he's rose again, that you can be changed. Is that what you desire today? I'm going to ask each of us to, as, we, as we close to bow our heads. And um, I want you to contemplate on this. I want you to contemplate upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ right now. That, that there, there, was, there, there was a man who came from heaven. He was born of a woman. He lived a perfect life, never sinned, never deserved to die. But he chose the nails. He chose to hang on the cross that my sins might be, be paid for. But he verified who he was because when he was placed in the grave, three days later he arose from the grave. He died for you. And through his power, you can have new life. 
Would you just stop and allow yourself to examine your heart? This is Easter Sunday. This is time we really need to be honest with ourselves and God. Would you ask yourself, God, do I really know you? Has there really become that point in my life that you've changed my life? Or, or, or you're just going the same old, same old, same old. Folks, Jesus has the power to change your life. And you may want to admit to him right where you're, you're sitting and praying today that, 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 that Jesus, I need you. You may want to say to yourself right now, my life's a mess or I have so much uncertainty in my life. But today, Jesus Christ, you have revealed to me that you love me so much that you came and you died for my sins. And they buried you and you really came from that grave. You really rose up from that grave, defeating death and the penalty of death. And you may say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but today, Jesus, I, I choose to place my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. And I ask you to be the Savior, the Lord of my life. And my trust is, 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 is totally in your hands. Jesus, I receive you to myself today. Make me your child. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. See, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. He, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. It's because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth, see that the heart is where the transaction is made, but with the mouth, that's where the confession is made. And all you're doing is with your mouth, the Bible, he says with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation because you're just telling people this is what has really happened in my heart. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity for that confession. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe if God's done it. This is the most important time in your life, bar none. In just a moment, we're going to, we're going to stand and we're going, to, we're going to sing. And our team's going to lead us in a song. And, um, and, and this is what we call invitation or altar time. There's going to be people coming up. There's going to be believers that's, that's coming up that say, just comes to the Lord and say, Thank you, Lord, to God. Help me with this time in my life. And there's going to be people just praying. But I, I'm going to ask you today, maybe if today's the first time you ever... You truly, you truly reached out and said, Lord Jesus, save me. I encourage you to do something about it. I encourage you to confess that. And I'm going to ask you to step out of that aisle wherever you are and come and say, Pastor, I made that decision today and because we want, we, we want to talk to you and pray with you about that. You may have somebody right beside you that, that you've been talking to and you've been ministering to, and you might, well, you know, you may think that, that they're, they've made that decision. You may just want to poke them inside, hey, say, I'll walk up there with you. Hey, this is an important time. Would you come today? Would you come today and say, hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Do not be ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and salvation. He wasn't ashamed for us. Would you come today as we stand, as we